Welcome to the Influence and Impact Podcast for Female Leaders. My name's Carla Miller, and I'm a leadership coach who helps female leaders to tackle self-doubt, become brilliant at influencing, and make more impact at work. I've created this podcast to help you to become a more inspiring and impactful leader. And I want to become the leadership BFF you didn't know you were missing until now. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Influence and Impact podcast, where I'm talking about the stark reality of what motherhood does to women's careers with my special guest, Jess Hegren. Now, this episode isn't just for parents. So it is going to definitely ring some bells if you are a mother who has returned to the workplace after having a child or children. But I would really, really encourage you to have a listen if you're thinking of becoming a parent, if you line manage parents, work alongside parents, or if you're an employer who wants to be a better employer for working parents. So my guest, Jess Hegren, is an ex-financial services director, a mother of four, award-winning chief exec of a company called That Works For Me, and author of the landmark report, Careers After Babies. And it's that report that we are going to be diving into on today's episode. Jess is on a personal mission to keep more parents in the workplace, and she works with businesses to make them better employers for parents through the Careers After Babies accreditation program, and she supports hiring through That Works For Me, which is home to thousands of parents seeking flexible work. Jess shares her personal experiences um, of being a really senior woman coming back to the workplace and shares some of the stories and the themes and trends that have come out of the report. We debunk some myths about what parents actually want after um, having their children. And we also explore some of the really interesting statistics that came up through her report. Statistics that show the long-term impact of having children on a woman's career. Statistics that show the drop in women at mid-management level and the increase in women at um, doing admin roles after having children. Some of it's shocking. The report is a saddening and stark read, but Jess also has some fantastic solutions and strategies for individuals and employers, and we're going to be covering some of those in this episode. So I really hope you enjoy the episode. Um, We would love to hear your feedback afterwards. We'd love for you to be sharing your experiences as well. And a great place to do that is to come on over to LinkedIn. If you're not connected to myself or following Jess, then do so. Um, And we'll have some posts there that you can um, share your experiences on. So happy listening. So delighted to welcome Jess to the podcast. Thanks for coming on, Jess. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I loved reading the report, so I'm looking forward to diving into some of the pieces within that. But let's start with a bit of background. So tell us a little bit about 
yourself and your business and how you came to write this report. Yeah, I'd love to. So I was previously strategy and distribution director in a large insurance company. Um, and one particular day whilst I was there, I took our um, commercial strategy up to the board. We went through it all. One of the board members said to me, so what's it like to be a 30-something-year-old female in our business? You know, you've been on all of our talent programs, et cetera. I said to him, do you want my honest answer? I said, it's, it's rubbish. <laughs> it's, it absolutely sucks. There's no one here that looks like me. And the next sort of few years of my life, as I planned for that to pay out, I can't see a way that that will happen within this organization. The product of that honesty was me launching their uh, diversity committee. Um, and I led the gender working family lead for that for a few years. Sadly, we didn't make quite enough change. And by the time I had my uh, daughter, although I went back on a flexible working arrangement, I was the only member of the board who was working flexibly. And I think most people will tell you if there's only one or two people in a much wider audience, then it doesn't tend to work. Um, so by the time I had my second, I knew that I, was, I, I wasn't going to be able to make that career work, sadly which was really, really tough. One of the one of the toughest decisions of my life, I would say, kind of throwing, not throwing it away, that sounds awful, but leaving that whole career behind. I tried to stay at home one thing. I did it for about eight, nine months and I drove myself insane kind of thinking about butternut squash and broccoli and, you know, how to make the best food for the baby. <laughs> but it wasn't quite enough. It, it drove me crazy. So I decided to act on something that I'd seen and that lots of people would have seen that so many women end up um, leaving their careers after they have their children. Um, and what I wanted to do was stop us sort of throwing those skills away, I guess. So I set up a platform called That Works For Me to bring together really skilled parents with companies that need those skills but on, not on a full-time basis. I've been doing that for... I think it's about four or five years now, actually. And um, whilst it's great, it I think more, over the last sort of couple of years, I've realised how important it is to try and change things from the other side, if you like, so to work with more businesses. So I've been doing a bit of consultancy when most businesses kind of say to me, uh, we have women and we keep them up to the point where they have children, but then we're losing them. Kind of what are we doing wrong? So I'll work with them to look back at at what parents need and how they can be better at that. The report kind of came from a culmination of all of those things, I guess. It, um, I would love to say that it was planned and that, you know, I, <laughs> I had all of the detail mapped out. The reality, I think, as with most things, is that I couldn't find the data set that I needed. So I'd constantly been looking for the data that actually proved what happened to women's careers. And on the way up to, there's a cross-parliamentary group called an APBG around women at work. And, and I was on my way up to one of those in person. I thought, oh, in a bit to sound intelligent, I'll make sure I've got all my stats straight in my head and everything. So I, I searched for the 20,000th time to try and find the data and couldn't find it. So I thought, I'll just, I'll do what any woman does. I'll just make it myself. I'll gather the data and it'll be fine. And so I put a type bomb out there. And it had a really good response straight away, interestingly. So we had lots of people that very quickly responded to that. So I left it open for a period of time. And I think eventually we got up to, uh, the magic number was 848, I think is where we eventually closed it. Um, but I found that I had a lot of data. And as I started reading through the answers and things, I, this, I you know, when you've just realized the value of something, first of all, the 
the stories in there were just making me cry my eyes out. I can't, I can't even tell you the number of times that I, I sat crying. Um, but I, did, yeah, realised how important a data set that it was, and that I hadn't ever seen it captured before. So I spent the next three months, an excessively long time, but I spent the next three months pulling all of that together in what I hope is a, a comprehensive output, and that is the careers after PB's report. So for those who haven't read it, and we will link to it in the show notes, but for those who haven't read it, tell us a little bit about the report. So I think what's really interesting about the report is that it tells us what's actually going on with our careers after we have children. So I think anecdotally, you and I will both say, oh, well, I know what happened to my career and I know what happened maybe to my best friend's career, but what I didn't realise is that this is happening on such a major scale. So we found things like 85% of women leave the full-time workforce within three years of having a baby. It's not surprising if you've had a baby because you know that you can't work full-time. But I think seeing, I think we tend to feel like we're alone in that. And I think when you see that actually 85% of women aren't making a full-time career work alongside having children, you suddenly go, oh, it's not me. And I've had so many messages from women saying, I thought I was the only one. Or I thought it was just me and my friend that this happened to. The, the findings were all surprising, but not surprising is probably the way to put it. You know, there, there's some really concerning things out there. So one of the one of the ones that really gets me is the fact that 98% of women that answered want to go back to work. So I feel like we are not necessarily fed a myth, but you know, the the narrative seems to be that women don't want to go back to work after having children. And that's just not true. You know, 98% of us want to go back. There's another stat I recently heard of something around 70% of families now have dual working parents if they have two parents in the family. And I think that's because to salary is needed in today's day and age. It's really it's really tough to survive on just one salary. So yeah, that ninety eight percent piece was a real a, a real crunch number. The yeah, number of women leaving the full time workforce. So interestingly, if you look at what is it that women need, which was another another question that we asked, it was the number is around fifty six percent of women want to work more than four days or sorry so four or more days yeah. and you know this whole thing around oh well if, if women do want to work they just want a little part-time job with very little responsibility you know that's not true either so I think that was the big thing for me a number of these sort of myths that that are used to talk about women after they have children it's not true we're still ambitious we still want to work we still want to earn money and we still want to contribute absolutely and I think, like you say, lots of women will look at that and, and feel less alone and recognize what's going on in there. I think it's a really good education piece for people that don't yet have children as well, because I think I was completely oblivious to so much, even though I really wanted children. And in my head, I was like, oh, I know it's hard work having children. I was oblivious to parenting yeah. and oblivious to the impact. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, eyes wide open. Now. And do you know what? It's been really interesting, the number of women who I guess are starting to think about it. So I've had lots of contact from that group, which I didn't think I would, but lots of them messaging saying, oh my God, this has confirmed all of my worst fears. Where do I go to find an employer where this isn't going to happen? You know, when I'm not going to be sidelined, when I'm not going to have my maternity cover promoted over me, kind of who's good at this stuff? And we're going to talk a little bit later, aren't we, about what organisations 
can do to uh, work with you on this. Um, now, there were a few key stats in there because there's so much in there we could talk all day. Um, but there were a few key stats that we thought would be good hooks to talk through. And, and I think I just want to set the context that you might be listening to this as a parent and it's all really resonating, or you might be listening to this as someone who um, is a leader, is making decisions in your organization or is making decisions on behalf of a team. And this is really important information for you to have. So I would love you to read the report, whether you're a parent or not. Um, and yeah, try not to freak out too much if you are planning to be a parent in the near future. Um, hopefully things are starting to to improve a bit from the conversations that people like you, Jess, are um, prompting. So the first um, stat that was interesting for me to see is you noticed there was a difference in the length of maternity leave based on how senior someone was. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the the thing that you need to know, I guess, about maternity leave, if you don't already, is that if you take less than six months of maternity leave, you are entitled to return to existential. If you take more than six months, you are entitled to return to a job that is similar. So that generally means similar terms, similar seniority, um, similar impact on the business. Now, I think what was really interesting about this is that the more senior women were, the more likely they were to take less than six months of maternity leave. So 52% of department heads and 20% of the directors took less than six months. I would say the reason they were doing that is to protect their jobs because what, quite often what we see happen is when we will go off from maternity leave, they'll come back and say, okay, I don't want to work full time, I'm not going to work four days, three days, whatever it may be, and they are put into a similar role. Now, again, another interesting thing that came out of that is that when women are put into a similar role, 74% of them end up leaving within two years. So it clearly, that that change of role at a really turbulent time of a woman's life means they are they disengage effectively and they, they will quite often end up leaving the organisation. I think the other interesting thing about maternity leave, those who are freelancing or working their own business tend to take less than three months. Now, I don't think for anyone that runs their own business, they've been probably not a surprise. Um, I took very short time off. And I actually think it's we we kind of we we came it as a bit of a bad. It's actually not that great, you know. You shouldn't have to not have any maternity leave just because you run your own business or because you're freelancing. But the reality is that that support's not there. You have very little income, um, and if you don't have someone else who can take over your business, you you know you, you lose customers and you lose income. So um, I think that was really interesting. Generally, people are taking. And perhaps not surprising between six and 12 months. 40% of women would have taken longer if they could have. And I, again, I think that's quite turning. So are we are we rushing back to the office when we don't necessarily want to be there? We don't feel ready to be there. Um, yeah, I think the whole piece around maternity leave, maternity leave is something else we looked at as well, actually. So before we move on, um, we found that 7% of couples ended up taking shared paternity leave. So the father ended up taking a period of paternity leave as well. Um, but only 25% of couples ever had the conversation about it, which I found quite disappointing. 
Um, I like to think, I mean, my husband and I are, are very much 50-50 on things and that was always the deal that we went into um, having children on. And I know that's not the same for a lot of couples. I think I find that, I find it particularly irksome, probably slash disappointing because I think, well, if those conversations aren't even happening at home, then how is that kind of shared, that shared leave data ever going to move on? And I think the actual, the national norm is something as low as 2%. So we were lucky to find, you know, 7% in there. Um, but for me, that's one of the real drivers around that will, you know, likely change things in the future. So having more men take more, more paternity leave. I was not to say maternity, but paternity. And do you think that's around a lack of awareness of how it actually works, like share parental leave, or do you think it's still we're still stuck in those kind of society and work constructs that say it's the woman that always takes the time off? I think there's a bit of both. I think lots of organisations have all got their head around it. I'm still surprised at the amount of organisations I've come across who don't have maternity policies in place. The paternity is obviously a lot, a lot newer, so. Um, lots of them, yeah, don't have that process and that piece in place. And lots of commentary, lots of commentary in there around um, organisations actively discouraging paternity leave, which, you know, obviously, but absolutely awful that that happens. But there are kind of two things that are going to play there. So there's the organisation saying, well, hang on a minute, we don't know how to deal with this. Then there's an organisation saying, well, you to men, you can't do that because that will impact your career. Um, and then the, there was a whole other thing that came out around dads not seeing other men do it. So if they don't see men within their organisation taking leave, it's not considered the norm and therefore they're less likely to do it. And I know there's some research that's been done around that. Um, we, I'm thinking later on this year, if I can, if I can face another big uh, data capture event again, <laughs> then I actually think we'll, we might run the survey again with some some tweaks in there, but do the equivalent for dads because I'm really interested in, in what that data looks like for mums versus dads. Yeah, it would be absolutely fascinating to see that difference. Now, the one of the other things that came out of the report which surprised me is something like 32%, there were 32% fewer women in management after having children, but a 44% increase in admin and entry levels. So there's someone who helps develop women in their careers, that horrifies me. Were you surprised to see that? Or Yeah, totally surprised. And I'm really saddened by it. Again, it's one of those things that I see happen a lot. You know, I see women leaving big careers behind and then they something up and they kind of call it their you know their little sideline or their little business that they run alongside you know having children um but to actually see it in data just I, th I think it's heartbreaking you know, we all, we work hammer and pole through our counties to kind of get as seen as we can and earn as much money and build up these these great careers and then because we have between six and 12 months off with a baby we then just say oh do, do you know what we're we're just going to leave this behind what I think annoys me most is that the implication, and I've even just almost sounded like it, and the implication is that we're saying, oh, it's too, it's too hard, I'm going to leave it behind. And it seems to, it seems to appear as though there's some level of weakness there. But actually, again, I think that's what was so powerful about the data. 85% of women, so most women couldn't make full-time work, work alongside having a family. So it's not about, 
it's not about that we can't cope. It's not about that we don't have the bandwidth to think about a job and have a family. We just can't do it in the traditional construct of a Monday to Friday, nine to five. You know, we need some flex around certain areas and a bit of additional support and, you know, some different times and different locations and things. Well, we're not asking for the moon on a stick to make this work. And as as we see what happens is women say, well, this, you know, this job is this job is too much or my organization being inflexible. So I'm going to come out of work for a little bit. And then when it's time to go back in, because there that can be so difficult and so challenging and not enough organizations are public enough about their flexible working and, and their offering to parents, they then end up taking a much lower paid job that either does have the flexibility there or it's something that they can go to, they can do kind of pretty much with their eyes closed so it doesn't cause sort of any additional stress and then they can leave behind and that's what they do for a few years just to get by. And I just I just, I just, just find it so frustrating as somebody who's always been incredibly ambitious I just, and I know that other people are. I don't think that ambition goes away when you have children. I think the construct of work makes it too difficult for you to continue thinking that you can be ambitious. And that's really frustrating. It is. It's so frustrating. And I think some of this also comes down to equal load in the household as well. So we've done a podcast episode um, on equality starts at home in the past, which we'll link to in the show notes. But it, it shouldn't just be women having that issue, should it? It should be any like if anyone's if parents going to have an issue, both parents should be having that issue. It should always be the woman doing the school drop off and the school pick up uh, and getting called by the doctor's surgery and all of these different things. I think it goes it goes right back to the beginning. I have a real bee in my bonnet about the fact that men get asked to leave the maternity ward. So I think from the very second that baby comes out of you, sorry, I keep saying men or partners, I get asked to leave the maternity ward. From the very first second that the baby comes into the world, it's it's your baby. And it's the same with the maternity appointments. It's your baby. Last time I checked, my husband was equally as responsible for my child as <laughs> me. Um, and I think that I just think we we push it from day one. They get asked to leave. Then they're not invited to a lot of the the follow-up appointments. And then it's the mum that gets contacted around immunizations and you know, your name goes first on on all of the the school records and nursery application forms and everything. It's just everything is geared towards children being the women's responsibility. I actually I was at um I was at an event a couple of weeks ago when I was uh, I heard one of the dads um talk from a a couple I'm just trying to trying to find his name now. Um, he's recently published a really interesting book um, and he was talking about him and his partner and how they've divvied things up and he said even, even with them there is that sort of slight natural bias one of them will, will kind of take on a bit more responsibility it was called Morgan Bentley that's it he's just been a book called The Equal Parent um, but it was really interesting talking about their, their different perspective on things and how they've derived responsibilities and you know who who looks after the baby? Um, definitely worth definitely worth a, a read. Because just hearing him talk was really interesting. I've just now noted it actually. Um, but I think I think the conversation starts at home, and it sounds it sounds silly, and I've mentioned it already, but but it really does. When you're talking about having a family, there has to be that conversation that says, "Are are you going to take some time off?" But I think I always find it fascinating when you meet couples that haven't 
talked about that area at all. And I know some men, I, I know, know some men who would probably be horrified that they've taken time off to spend with their baby, maybe even their children. But I think as women, we all need to take a bit of a stand on this one and say, no, this, you know, this is how it works in today's day and age. The legal rights are out there. Um, companies have a duty to offer that shared parental leave. We should, we should be making sure that we take advantage of that and we stand up for ourselves. I was giving a talk the other day at a large company about um, allyship and what men can do. And it was brilliant. I mean, there was like over 600 people in there and lots of women were openly sharing their experiences and men too. Um, and we were talking about um, doctors calling. And there was a man in there who said he had to leave a job because his employer couldn't understand that he was an equal parent and needed to go and pick his child up. When they were sick, um, so even when you want to do it, it yeah. can be hard to actually get your job to enable you to do it. And I think that's I think the role of dads has changed recently. So I would say, sort of, dads probably under forty now expect to play a more active role and want to. It's very rare that you meet a dad that doesn't actually want to be there, you know, through the through thick and thin. I've actually, our baby's off nursery today, sick, and my husband has her in the other room, hearing whinging in the background. And so it's, but that is, every time that happens, it's a conversation with us to say, right, you know, what have you got on today? Can you, you know, can you do this? Can you do this? And, and we cover the day between us. But yeah, I just, it it, it just shocks me that it, that it doesn't happen more, especially in today's world where I think men want to play a different role. And going back to the point you made earlier about women moving to jobs that are less intensive, I um, had a role for a little while interviewing people for returnerships. So interviewing mainly women, but it was open to men as well, returnerships after taking time off to have children. And it was heartbreaking, these stories. These were like highly experienced directors, accountants. It was a management consulting firm. Like, and then um, just hearing how hard it had been if they'd taken more than a couple of years off to get back into the workplace at all, never mind anything using their skills. There was so much competition. I did hundreds of interviews for, I think it was about 20 spots. Um, and it was a real eye-opener to me. I didn't have children at that point, but just recognizing how hard it is when you take significant amount of time out to get back in and be taken seriously. Yeah. I think I said to you the very first time we, we spoke that I had had a, I've had conversations with many recruiters over the last couple of years. And there was one particular, there was a, a time at which I was talking about, um, uh, some consultants who went for, for me to run alongside that works for me. Um, and I spoke to a lady, a woman actually, probably a similar age to me with two children. And she said to me, well, you know, you have been out of the workplace for a few years now, so it will be a bit trickier. I absolutely lost my, I'm going to say marbles because we were on a podcast, but I'm so <laughs> furious. I just said to her, do you know what? Having children, I have four of them as I do now, having four children and having run my own business for the last few years, I would say it's been the toughest time of my life. And I've learned more in those last few years than I've ever learned before. 
how dare you tell me that I, I haven't worked? You know, I haven't. It's not like I've forgotten how to talk to people. It's not like I've forgotten how to do my job. My organization is on point because it absolutely has to be. <laughs> and, and look, I can still have a conversation. Here we are talking. But I do, jokes aside, I think there's a real issue with the recruitment industry. And that's not all recruiters because actually I'm in contact with some incredible ones who are really sympathetic and they make it their mission to get ones back into work. But there is a huge tranche of the recruitment industry who will take one look at your CV, see that there is a gap and just and, and toss it to the side. And it's something has to be done about it. It's next on my hit list after I've, after I finish with what I'm doing at the minute. <laughs> I may not have told you I used to run a charity recruitment company. <laughs> um, but it's fascinating because I'm so glad that now the people that I used to work with um, and a lot of the offshoot businesses that have come from that group as well, are massively changing how they did things because we just did things the way they were always done. And now I look back in absolute shame and horror and I'm like, I can't believe that was our default. And that's and, and we just perpetuated mm-hmm. that. Whilst now at least we're having these conversations, we're stopping asking for the salary that yeah. you were on in your last role and all of these other things. But you're right, the, the industry needs a big shift, but I think it has started or at least parts of it have started to really genuinely embrace diversity and inclusion and I wonder if it comes from there are a lot more organizations with their own recruitment teams now and I think they drive the questions that they they ask a lot more um but yeah certainly with recruiters I think some of them definitely default to um, the next question so you just said something really interesting there so about your moment of shame so I have a real moment of shame from my past that I had a, a lady that worked for me when I was in my probably my late 20s no children um and she had three kids uh, she'd recently separated from her husband and one of her children was in hospital and she came into work and I was like oh my god what are you doing here and she we'd had some really tricky conversations about how her return to work and a, and a role being divvied up Anyway, I sent her when I always sent her back to the hospital, but I've still always, that's really stuck with me around the fact that she felt that she had to come into the office when her child was ill. Now, I just, I've publicly apologised to her and to bless her and she was really, really gracious about it. But I just think, I think it demonstrates a really important point here. One is that it can be very difficult to put yourself in the shoes of a working parent when you haven't had them. Again, some people do it brilliantly, but I do think it's a real, it's a real tough ask to get somebody to um to appreciate how difficult it can be. Which leads me on to the second point, which is I think there is a real call out here for for line managers in businesses to be really closely supported by HR teams on this stuff. And if you don't have that expertise in-house, then going externally for it. Because I think, again, something else that came out in the report really loud and clear for me was whenever there had been a negative interaction between the woman and her line manager, they were most likely to leave. So if every conversation, the outcome was impacted by every single one of them. So every time there had been a touch point, whether it was a keep in touch day, whether it was a conversation before going on maternity, whether it was that of those tricky conversations you have about the return, like the value of those conversations and the significance of them just shouldn't be underestimated. You know, people need support around those. Definitely. And we've had a couple of previous podcast guests that I know you're in contact with as well, but Lizzie Martin and Jessica Chivers 
who are, if you're, if you're an individual or an organization thinking, I do need more support on that specific returnership side of things, then definitely worth getting into yeah, that. They're both amazing, but rate them really highly. Me too. And then you also did a little bit of research in terms of what's the long-term impact on women's career of having children. What came out of that? So the, the, the deeply standing thing here in was taking 10 years plus for careers to recover, by which I mean that, you know, we mentioned that women leave the, leave the workforce um, and often come back at a lesser skilled role. It's upwards of 10 years for them to get back to the level and salary that they were at before. 10 years is a really long time. <laughs> if you think that we work 10 years and really sort of before we even think about having children, they have to go and do that all of that again just to get back to where you were before. It's just absolutely soul destroying. Um, and that came out into we we asked about earnings, we asked about uh, promotions, we asked about levels before and levels after, and it was it was just consistent across the board. Really disappointing, except and a big except here when somebody found the organisation that when they found an organisation, sorry, that were able to provide them what they needed. And what we found then was that they got into those organisations and they stuck with them. They wouldn't let go of the money, <laughs> which is, which is again, you know, it's good and bad. Great that those organisations were able to hang on to the talent that they've invested in and keep hold of them. Not so great in that they felt that they were almost compelled to stay there and perhaps couldn't sort of look more broadly for alternative promotion opportunities because there aren't enough organisations out there who were good enough at this stuff. But we're going to talk in a moment about the organisation side of things. So if, if someone's a woman who's uh, about to have a child or has children and is thinking this really resonates with me, what can we do to to empower them in this situation? What advice, if any, would you give to women in this situation? So I, the first one is, don't, we said it earlier on jokingly, but don't be disheartened by all of this because times are changing. If I look back to... Um, eight years ago or so when I had my first daughter to where things are now and they weren't a bad organization either by the way I should say that I think times are changing so I think there is a lot more flexibility I think preparing for it so knowing that things are going to be tough and arming yourself with that information that the return to work is a really hard time so I I've been really open about my story that I was um, a director on a board um, when I went off from maternity leave, I went back into uh, the same role, but I couldn't speak in board meetings for months. I just found it incredibly hard. I found like, I found my whole world had turned upside down, back to front and whichever other way. Um, but I found it really, really tough. And it is a difficult time. So I think kind of preparing yourself for it, not necessarily being a walk in the park is probably is, is probably one thing. The next thing is setting yourself up when you go on leave for the best possible return, by which I mean making sure, I think in the report I called it something like positivity files, but before you go off, spend a little bit of time pulling together some reminders of why you're bloody good at your job. So, you know, remind yourself what your skills are, remind yourself of some of the amazing feedback you've had and, and collate that into something that when you come back into your job, you can you can maybe have a read of that and remind yourself of, of why you're good. 
the third thing for me is communication strategy while you're off. Um, it can be quite tricky to imagine how new baby and uh, keeping in touch with work kind of play out against one another. But what I would say is, um, again, invest a little bit of time in it before you go off. And if it changes after you have the baby, it changes. You know, that's not the end of the world. The fact is, if you have set intentions to try and keep in touch and try and feel engaged, then I think that is, that's kind of half the battle. Um, the actual return itself, anything you can do to make life as easy as possible. So I know lots of great organizations will have coaching support in place to kind of help you rebuild your confidence and reskilling yourself back into your job. So reminding yourself of how to do it. And if you need that bit of extra time, then um, letting your employer know and just saying, you know, can we go back through how you use this system or, you know, how we produce these reports or, or, or whatever it may be that's changed. Um, I also think there's something in there around, it can be quite useful to have uh, somebody external to talk to. So somebody that's not um, not day-to-day, someone that you feel kind of a bit more comfortable going, oh, this feels awful and I can't remember how to do my job and so-and-so is asking me a question I don't understand. I think having somebody who sort of sits outside your team and your line management structure, that can be really helpful. There's an amazing organization called uh, Mentor Mums um, and they offer that service, which I think is brilliant. They do it all for free as well, which is incredible. So they will link you up with somebody in um, an external organization to your own where you can have those conversations. So if you're having an absolute meltdown and feeling dreadful, then, you know, somebody completely detached from your organization that you can talk to. Um, and then my other final bit, which is easier said than done, is just making sure your home life is set up to make it as easy as possible. And um, I wish, if I was to say, I wish somebody had told me something, it would be about the first weeks, first six weeks that your child starts a new nursery they are sick constantly, <laughs> literally sick all the time. They catch every virus under the sun. And I I know that I found when I went back to my corporate role, having a sick baby and the confidence problems and the fact that I was leaving my baby in two counties away in a, in a nursery, all of that for me just came together and just made the whole thing an absolute disaster. So whatever whatever you can do to make that transition as easy as possible. So whether it's starting the nursery a bit earlier, whether it's having a um, some support nearby, you know, whether it's a, know, a parent or partner, whatever that might look like. Um, but yeah, to try and make that transition as easy as possible. Because it's a tough time. It is. I think for my son, it was like six months of those illnesses. And then he would pick them up at nursery and then be excluded. Like he had half a mouth three times. And I was like, <laughs> sterilize your toys. I thought I had to keep paying for the childcare as well. And that's the thing we've not, we, you know, we haven't got time to touch on it today either, but the sheer cost of childcare at the moment and pregnant then screwed are doing some amazing work on this, but the sheer cost of childcare means all other podcast. Yeah, it's not financially viable. No, no, it's not. And the stat is, I think the latest one is that it's 44% of the average salary goes on childcare cost. And that's the average salary as well. So, you know, anything lower than that, you don't stand a chance. Anything higher than that still makes it pretty darn tough. It's horrifying. Now, the final piece we wanted to look at is you've got something exciting in the works, haven't you, in terms of how you can support companies who want to retain the women that they work with. So tell us a bit about your accreditation. 
Yeah, so we um, we had all of this data and we had all of these amazing findings. And as you know, it's had an incredible impact um, in literally on LinkedIn. Um, and then you kind of ask yourself, well, what are you going to what are you going to do with that? Um, so I'm pulling together everything that I've learned over my career, everything that I did with the diversity at DRG, everything that I've learned through that works for me. Uh, we are creating an accreditation process at so the Careers After Babies accreditation. What that will do is assess your current state. I guess, actually, point I need to make, this is not a tick box exercise. So this is about transforming businesses so that they become better employers for parents. And um, so we will assess your current state and produce a scorecard off the back of that, work with you to roadmap to accreditation. And within that, we will be providing lots of tools or resources or recommend you um, speak to great people. We've named a few of them today um, about how to get yourself to be the best possible fit employer ready for working parents. And then you will um, be awarded with that accreditation piece once you've got to the end of it. So I'm incredibly excited. I've spoken to the first, I think we've got about, I think we're nearing 20 actually, 20 employers now who on that next week, which is really, really exciting. Um, and some of those employers are the absolute best in their sector as well. So I'm so happy that they, um, they've reached out. And my call out to anyone else actually is if you think you're a great employer for parents, then by all means get in touch. And equally, if you need help, um, I can absolutely help with that. You don't have to be perfect from day one, um, but I've got a very good handle on all of the, the best people, um, the best things to help you become an amazing employer for parents. It sounds fantastic. And I've seen something not entirely dissimilar on the menopause front that's been making a real difference as well. So it's brilliant to have it for working parents too. So if people want to find out more, get in touch with you, find out how they can get accredited, where should they go? So get in touch with me at jess at thatworksforme.co.uk or reach out to me on LinkedIn or our website is thatworksforme.co.uk. There are two sections on there, one for employers and one for parents. And everything that I've talked about today is available um, through there. Thank you so much for coming on, mainly for doing the report, for taking <laughs> what you've noticed and turning it into actionable research and then taking it to the next level. I think there are many people listening that will be grateful for that and many people will benefit from it in the future. So thank you so much, Jess, you're an inspiration. This is totally welcome. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're not already subscribing, please do so so that you don't miss any future episodes. And if you want to go deeper on the topics that we talk about here on the podcast, on confidence, self-doubt, imposter feelings, increasing your influence, being better at leading, then there are a few avenues that you can take. The simplest is to get yourself a copy of my book, Closing the Influence Gap. If you love this podcast, it is crazy if you don't already own that book because it's got so much of the content from the podcast in a really accessible way and so many practical tools and strategies. It's basically a practical guide for women leaders who want to be heard in the workplace. You can grab a copy in any uh, bookstore. Now, we also run a couple of open programs. Uh, we run them once or twice a year each. There is Be Bolder, our four-week confidence and assertiveness course, which is suitable for women at any level. 
And then there's also Influence and Impact, which is our Women's Leadership Development Program. That's a three-month small group cohort working closely with me. And then my team and I also work in-house in organizations. Sometimes that's working with women leaders, whether that's running a whole women's leadership program or running one of our really popular masterclasses for women leaders. Sometimes it's working with early to mid-career women, where we're often sharing our Be Bolder confidence and assertiveness program. We also offer gender neutral versions of that, which are becoming increasingly popular because women aren't the only people experiencing confidence challenges. And then finally, we do work with allyship and supporting men to help bring about gender equity in the workplace as well. So if you are heading up a team or a department or within your organization, you're responsible for the people function or L&D and would like to have a chat about how we can work together, I would absolutely love that. And you can go to my website and book a call Or if it's simpler, head on over to LinkedIn. Let's connect and let's chat there. I would love to take working with you to the next level um, and help you to become an organization that retains and develops and supports the talented women that work for you.